Well, one of the things that you may have noticed as we've been traveling together through the life of Jesus as John presents it to us in his gospel is that John presents Jesus in what I would call Old Testament language. And what I mean by that is that John goes back into the Old Testament and he gathers up ideas and he gathers up images and he gathers up language and then he comes back into his present day and into our present day through his gospel and he says, guys, let me tell you who Jesus is, let me tell you what Jesus does and let me do it through these images. Now, why is he doing that? Well, a number of reasons, not the least of which is that he's coming to us to describe to us the God of the Bible, the Messiah of the Bible, the Savior of the Bible. And so he goes back into the only Bible that existed in his day, for the New Testament had not yet been written, to use the language of the Bible to do it. And he's also writing, at least originally, to a group of first century Jewish people who really knew and understood the Old Testament, which we really need to know and understand as well and have been unpacking as we go so that we might understand this God, this Messiah, this Jesus that John is describing. And if you've been with us, you know that right out of the gate, you know, John came along and he presented Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, where does that come from? Well, I've already told you it comes out of the Old Testament. What is he referring to? The Old Testament sacrificial system that started with Moses and continued right up into the very generation to which he originally wrote, and in which innocent, spotless, perfect lambs were brought to the temple of God and then sacrificed before God. Why? That their innocent blood might cover over the sin of the guilty people of God. John goes, guys, that's Jesus. That's who he is. That's what he does. Oh, and by the way, he then said, well, and also, since we're kind of on a temple motif, he's the true temple. He's the place where God and man dwell. What has John taught us about Jesus? That he is the God-man, that he is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who in his conception, who in that gestational period, who in his birth assumes and takes upon himself humanity. He is fully God. He is fully man. He is the God-man, which means that he is the place where God and man dwell. He is the true temple. But more than that, what happens in the temple? Well, that's where sacrifice for sin is made. And so then, sinful men and women in coming to the true temple who is Jesus and in partaking by faith of the benefits of the blood of the true Lamb of God who is, well, also Jesus, can also dwell with God, can also enter into relationship with God, can freely, as the writer of Hebrews says, come boldly into the presence of God. That's a pretty cool deal, can call God your Father. John says, guys, that's Jesus too. Then he came to us with a story of how Jesus led this whole multitude of people. They're following him around, you know, and he's up in the Galilee region, but he takes them out into a wilderness place. Now, that ought to, like, sound bells and whistles for you. If you know the Old Testament, you ought to be thinking Moses and the people of Israel because the people of Israel followed Moses up out of Egypt and out into the wilderness. And the same thing happens there that happens with Christ. And what's that? They got hungry, okay? Lunchtime came. And, and people started going, hey, um, not a lot of supermarkets out here. What are we going to do with all of these hungry people? And Moses cries out to God, and God gives them a bread from heaven called manna, and it physically sustains them out there in the wilderness. What does Jesus do? Same kind of thing. He miraculously provides bread that everybody gets to eat, and there's all these baskets full left over. Like, He gives, and He gives in abundance. He gives more than enough, and then He makes a statement that is to be understood in light of the Old Testament. He says, guys, I am the bread of life. He's saying that to partake of Him by faith is to receive not just physical life, but it is to receive spiritual and eternal life. And then two weeks ago, as we continued our journey through His life as John presents it, 
John has Jesus making the statement about light. He says, look, I'm the light of the world. And by that, what did he mean? Because we talked about it. He's saying, listen, I am everything that light in the Old Testament represents. I am that which is pure. I'm purity defined. I am the truth. I am wisdom. I am understanding. I am joy. I am life. I am order. I am fullness. I am, and I alone, by the way, am the one who has power over darkness. And I'm the creative gift of God. And not just in the original creation story when God says, let there be light, but let there be light in you. If you are a believer in Christ, it is because God, by His Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of His Word, has shown the light, His creative light of His gospel into your heart and made you new. But what else did we learn about light? Because it's what we talked about last week. It's where we left off. We learned that light brings sight. And so what does Jesus, as John presents him, do next? I'm the light of the world, he says. And then he heals a man born blind. He heals a man. He brings sight or light to a guy who all of his life has lived in darkness. And we saw that that was true physically for sure, but it was also for sure true spiritually as well. And he cures both kinds of blindness. John presents Jesus in light of the language of the Old Testament, but see, what's the irony that has been running from the very beginning of John's gospel? And that will run all the way to the end of John's gospel, climaxing, really, in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The irony is that the guys in the society of Jesus, in the culture of Jesus, in the day of Jesus, who at least presumably knew and understood the Old Testament the best, were the ones who most obviously and evidently missed him. That's ironic. See, the irony is that the religious leaders in Jesus' day who were responsible for the sacrificial system were the ones who missed the true Lamb of God. The temple authorities who ran the temple were the ones who missed the true temple. The scribes and the Pharisees who devoted their whole life to the study of the law and of the life, for that matter, of Moses to include the whole bread and manna in the wilderness story, rejected the true bread from heaven, didn't recognize him when he came. Those who were supposed to see most clearly were most clearly proven blind. And you'll see that again today as we continue our study. Because today, as we pick it up in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Jesus will once again be presented by John in the language of the Old Testament. Jesus, as Matt said at the beginning of the service, is going to tell you today, hey, you know what? I am the good shepherd. Now that is Old Testament language. There is a theme of shepherding that runs all the way through the Old Testament. If I just stopped and read all of the verses about it, it would be an even longer sermon than you might already think that it's going to be. Let me give you one. Most famous, probably. I'm going to start it. You give me the next word. The Lord is my... Very good. Now think about that. That's not just true for David. If Christ is your shepherd, it's true for you. The Lord is my shepherd. Now just work it through. As a result, I shall not... little less than the crowd said at that time, but yeah... That's right. At some point, you're like, I don't know, man. I shall not want. And you came here today wanting in all kinds of ways, didn't you? Or at least thinking you did. I am wanting for money. I am wanting for fellowship. I am wanting for, I am wanting for, I am wanting for. What is that psalm teaching you? You've got all you want and need in Christ. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now, he might lead me through some pretty thorny pathways and up a few cliffs to get there. But it's where we're going. He leadeth me beside the still or the quiet waters. He restoreth my soul. Is that you? Is that what you need today? He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. And one of the things that you'll notice if you take that path following your shepherd is that there's not a lot of folks on that path. It's the narrow path. It's the path of safety. It's the path of wisdom. It's the path of life. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Why? Because it'd be really beneficial to me. No, for His name's sake. For the glory He gets as you follow Him on the narrow path. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of? Yeah. I will fear no evil, and why not? For thou art with me. There's a presence. Thy rod and thy staff, there's a protection. They comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. In front of who? In the presence of mine enemies. There's vindication coming for the people of God who are persecuted for their faith. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And for how long? Forever. Jesus is going to come to you presented in the language of the Old Testament again. And he's going to say, I want you to know something about me. I'm the good shepherd. And I want you to know something about all these guys who are rejecting me, who are blind to me, as we'll see today, who are deaf to me who don't come to do good to the sheep of God, who come to do harm to the sheep of God, who don't come to selflessly give themselves away to advantage the sheep of God, but who come to disadvantage the sheep of God so they can advantage themselves. I want to tell you who these guys, the supposed, we'll put it in quote, shepherds of Israel are. They're thieves and they're robbers. And then having said all of this, he'll also say, I'm the door. Now, what's that? Well, that's language of the Old Testament, but what does the door in the Old Testament do? We've talked about this in the past, but the door divides, guys, and you've got to know that walking into this. You need to be armed with this understanding to understand what Jesus is saying. The door divides, and it does not divide between two equally friendly options. It divides between destruction and death on the one hand and deliverance and life on the other. It really matters what side of the door you're on is the bottom line. Think of Noah's Ark, okay? Now, does it matter what side of that door you're on? So I'm thinking if you want to be inside the ark, that's the place of deliverance and life. Outside the ark, not so much. Think of the door to Lot's house. In that story of the destruction of Sodom, those outside the door, those are the ones who ultimately are destroyed. The ones inside the door are the ones who escape deliverance and life. You think of the doors of the people of Israel in Egypt on the night of the Passover, the night of their deliverance. Doors, by the way, that were painted, the doorposts and the thresholds with the blood of an innocent lamb, the Passover lamb. As the angel of death visits destruction and death upon the Egyptians, the Israelites are experiencing deliverance and life behind the bloody door. One more example, what about Rahab? 
In that great story of Joshua's destruction of the city of Jericho, what does Joshua say? He says, listen, you gather your family, you know, and you guys get behind the door. Everybody behind the door of your home, deliverance and life. Everybody else, not so much. Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the one who divides. I'm the one who separates. And he does it for his sheep. So what's the question of the day today? The question is, am I one of his sheep? And are you one of his sheep? It's good. It's good to be one of the sheep of Jesus. We pick up our study this morning in John 10, beginning in verse 1, he says this, Truly, truly, now he says that kind of stuff a lot, but he's really going to lay something down on us, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, and now watch all of these images because there are a lot of them. He says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, so there that is, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. That's a lot of images, and it gets even more complicated here in a second because, as I've already told you, Jesus is going to claim to be both the good shepherd and the door, which makes you kind of want to go, all right, Lord, which is it? And the answer to that is both. You don't have to choose. It's a both hand. See, back in the first century and for centuries prior, and I'm sure for centuries since, shepherds kept their sheep at night in sheepfolds. Now, why would they do that? Because nighttime is when the thieves come. Nighttime is when the robbers come. Nighttime is when the predators come. They can lead them out in safety in the light of the day, but at night they would gather them together behind a sheepfold and they would build their sheepfolds out of rocks, which you basically have to do. I've shared with you, and if you go and march with us to Israel, you're going to see a lot of rocks. There are a lot of rocks in that territory, particularly up in the Galilee region. So if you have a plot of land and you want to use it, first thing you need to do is clear it of rocks. They would clear it of the rocks to create the sheepfold and use the rocks to build the walls. And then oftentimes they would plant like thorny vines alongside or on top of these rocks to create kind of a natural barbed wire, if you will. And they would create the sheepfolds with exactly, and this is important, one door. Just one way in and one way out. And sometimes it was a literal door. So there would be a gate, if you will, that would open and shut and let the sheep in and let the sheep out. And if it was a big enough sheepfold and if enough shepherds were using it and whatnot, sometimes they would hire a gatekeeper who would then stand there and he would only let legitimate shepherds in and legitimate shepherds out. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way is a thief or a robber. But he who enters by the door... So all of this stuff is in play. But oftentimes there was no door and there was no gate. And so what would happen is the shepherd would lead his sheep out, green pastures, quiet waters, probably some rocky terrain too to get there, but he knew where he was going during the safety of the day and he would lead them all back in before the perils of darkness would begin. And here's what he would do. He would lay down his life across the door, across the one way in and out. And that's where he would sleep. And so then he is both the shepherd and he's the door. He literally, physically becomes the one who divides his sheep between destruction and death and secures for his sheep 
deliverance and life. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber and you need to see him for who he is. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And you're like, okay, I think it's coming together for me here. But who are the sheep? Because that's the question. Well, we're going to see that too in a second. And what you're going to see is that the sheep are those who recognize the voice of their shepherd and get up and go to the shepherd. Bring themselves to the shepherd. Offer themselves to the shepherd. And then follow the shepherd. One of the other things that was not terribly uncommon in those days is that a lot of shepherds, like let's say four or five, would come together and they would build one sheepfold for all four or five of their flocks. You know, I mean, it's easier to clear a piece of land with four or five guys than one guy you know? So they're being friends or whatever, and maybe they shared a well too, who knows, but they would build a big sheepfold together and they would each lead their separate flocks out to wherever they would lead them throughout the course of the day. And then they would bring all of these different herds and flocks and all of these different sheep back into the one sheepfold that together they had created. The obvious question then being, okay, but how did they keep the sheep separate? And the answer to that is they did not keep them separate. They let them intermingle all night long, every single day until morning. When each individual shepherd would go out and he would stand in a particular location and he would call his sheep with his unique call. And then what would happen is the sheep of that shepherd who recognized that voice would obediently stand and they would come out from amongst all of these other flocks and they would go out to that shepherd and they would follow only that shepherd, which makes sense of what Jesus says next in verse 3. He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own. Do you hear that? Sheep by name. So who owns the sheep? Because academically, that's easy. Oh, well, it must be Jesus. I mean, the shepherd owns the sheep. You know, the sheep are owned by the sheep. That's, that's easy. Practically, That's something to think about. Paul says what? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You belong to Him. And not just casually. You know, and not just occasionally. And not just when you choose to be. He owns you wholly and fully, and He calls you by name. That's incredibly personal. That tells you something about the flock of God. It tells you that we're not just some big anonymous herd that our Lord owns, if you will. And then if we put Him to the test, you know, and said, okay, how about the sheep third from the back? What's her name? Oh, man, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, He calls them by name. He knows them. And it's where the analogy breaks down in some sense because, you know, as you picture all of this, there is this single shepherd. How can he pay attention to all of the sheep and all at the same time? It's pretty amazing actually what these guys can do, but our shepherd is infinite. You don't have to pull one of the numbers like you do at the Publix Deli to wait your turn to be with him. His full attention is on you. Not just some of the time, but all of the time. 
The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, which implies mission, it implies purpose, it implies provision, it implies protection, it implies that never-ending presence of the Lord God, all of which we forsake when we choose not to respond or follow. Jesus continues, he says, and when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice and they trust his voice even when it's the valley of the shadow of death that he's taking them through. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. A stranger they will not follow, Jesus continues, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then John comments, and he says, this figure of speech, this image straight out of the Old Testament and straight out of the everyday lives of these people as well, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, meaning the men who should have seen him but didn't, who should have embraced him but rejected him, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And not only, therefore, were they blind, they were therefore also deaf. And so Jesus said again to them, and here it is, truly Truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. What is he saying? He's saying, I am the one who lays down my life as that which divides and separates for my sheep destruction and death on the one hand and secures for my sheep deliverance and life. On the other, he continues, verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, all who came before me and who should have recognized and embraced me when I arrived, but didn't, are thieves and are robbers. Beware of those guys. But notice the sheep did not listen to them, but rather rejected them in favor of me. And so Jesus says it again, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved from destruction and death and will go in and out and find eternally green pasture is the point. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they, my sheep, might have life and have it abundantly. To which he then adds, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life as the door for his sheep. And then in verse 16... Jesus says this to an exclusively Jewish audience. And here, if you were not born ethnically Jewish, he speaks of you. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I'm not just the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the sons and daughters ethnically of Abraham, but of the sons and daughters spiritually of Abraham. I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of people from all over this world who come to the true temple, which is Jesus, who by faith claim the benefits of the blood of the true Lamb of God, which is Jesus, and eat of His bread and see by His light. Follow Him as His shepherd. Find safety in Him as their door. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must, he says, bring them also. And they will do what? They will listen to my voice because that's what sheep do. And so there will be one flock made up of a diverse kind of people with one shepherd. For this reason, he says, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down in death. So he has authority over death. And I have authority to take it up again in resurrection. He has authority 
over life and death, this charge I have received from my Father. It's amazing. John's giving you a vision of Christ. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's the true temple, the place where God and man dwell and where you and I can come to dwell through the sacrifice that occurs in his own person, in his own body. That's Jesus. He's the true bread of life sent by God to offer the bread of his body and the wine of his blood to all who come to him in faith. He's the light of the world come to bring spiritual sight, to shine his light into our hearts that we might see him and believe and worship him with the whole of our lives. But he is also the good shepherd and the door. He loves his sheep so very much that he willingly lays down his life that he might divide for us destruction and death on the one hand and deliverance and life on the other. It matters what side of the door you're on, which leads us back to the question, and what is that? I don't know. I mean, it's am I one of his sheep? And are you? So who are they? They recognize the voice of the shepherd. They get up and obediently come. They respond to the call of the shepherd, bringing to the shepherd not just their sin, but their whole life. It is an ownership relationship. It is a he is the leader relationship. It is a I now follow him relationship, and then they obediently follow him. Look, not as consistently as we ought and, and, and not as obediently as we ought. But we follow him. And you know, what's really neat is as the shepherding theme gets worked out with regard to Jesus in the New Testament, particularly in Luke, you find that you have a shepherd that when you stray, goes to get you. He's the one who leaves the 99, you know that story. And he leaves him with the gatekeeper in all likelihood is the idea. So they're safe, but he goes to look for the one. You know what he does, by the way? What shepherds do with sheep that wander and wander and wander and wander and wander. They find them, they find them, they find them, they find them, and then they break their leg. Bandage it up. Set the brake. Put them on their shoulder and carry them around until they can walk again on their own. And what's fascinating is those are the sheep that never again leave the side of the shepherd. There is a wounding that heals. But we obediently follow him, and he leads us by the light of his greater wisdom and by the sight of his greater vision. It's fascinating that sheep are notoriously poor-sighted. In fact, they're notoriously nearsighted. What does that mean? It means they can't see too far into the distance. But the shepherd can. And then at the end of their days, having faithfully and obediently followed him through all manner of terrain, including green pastures and quiet waters, and including the valley of the shadow of death. What does the shepherd do? He welcomes them into his fold, and he heals all of their wounds. Shepherds would take their sheep out during the day, and then at the end of the day, they would stand at the one entrance to the sheepfold and inspect them each one by one, not critically, but lovingly. They'd take all the burrs out of their fur, They'd pick some of the insects, you know, off of them that have afflicted them. They'd anoint their head with oil. 
that would protect their eyes from bugs. He anointeth my head with oil. If they had scrapes or bruises, they would bandage them, pour oil on them, that's a healing sign, and bring them in to safety and deliverance and life. John is coming to us image by image, idea by idea, and he's saying, guys, that's Jesus. Oh, 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 and this is Jesus. And, And then on top of that, and then it's even getting better, And today, too, He is the Good Shepherd. He is the door. And the question is, have you heard His call? Are you following Him? I'll pray that you are.